decide what quote to put on the back of your shirt. Anyone else make any decisions? Eight. Yeah. Take a shower. That's a good one to decide, yes. Deci did you really decide to eat? What did you decide, Elliot? Whether to do the rock climb wall or not, what did you decide? You did it. Good. Right. So you made a few decisions today, right? Who made, who made a decision when you walked through this back door where you kind of thought who you wanted to sit beside? Who decided that? Raise your hand. Come on now. Who decided when you walked in there, you decided who you wanted to sit beside? All right. Okay. I want you to understand here, I'm sitting in the back row. I watch you come in. And I watch to see who you're looking for. To see if that feller's there. Huh? See if that gal's there. Yeah. We make all kinds of decisions every day, don't we? From uh, whether you're going to sleep that extra two minutes or whether you're going to get up. We decide to do all kinds of things. Today I'm going to ask you to be thinking about a decision, and we'll talk about that tonight, to decide what you're going to do now that you're at this point when you understand the grace of God in your life. Now that you understand how nothing that God calls you to do is impossible for you, that you will have no excuses whatsoever when God comes knocking at your door and says, I want you. I want you to think about the decisions that you're going to make. So far this week, we've talked about a few things. I'm going to cheat and read them. We talked about the grace of God being available for your race. Your race. What God's called you to run, what He's called you to do with your life. We talked about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. They got there. God's grace came just in time because the Egyptian army was coming up behind him. So God's grace is very timely. It is sufficient. Barak, he didn't want to go into battle. Deborah convinced him to go. Did you have a chance to go through your booklets and write down who are the Deborahs in your life? Who are the people that encourage you? Because I'll tell you, uh, Elliot did the rock wall. Anyone else do that today? Olivia did it yesterday. I did it today. And... Charlie was on belay for me, and uh, I'll tell you, these old arms, and they're pretty skinny if you haven't noticed, I'm, I'm not even halfway up, and there is this voice in my head, and I'm telling you, it is screaming, quit, 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 you know, it's like, oh my goodness, you got to stop, my arms were on fire, and there's Charlie down below saying, you can do it, Pastor David. And the voice in my head is going, quit, quit, quit. And Charlie's down there real soft. You can do it. We believe in you. And it reminded me in Peter Pan, you know, everyone clap your hands, you know. And, um, and I did it. I went all the way to the top. I couldn't believe it because this voice was screaming so much in my head. I wanted to understand that God's grace works like that. It is all that we need. David and Goliath, we saw that uh, as God helped him overcome one little obstacle after another bigger one, that God's grace gives us strength, confidence to do those things he called us to. 
the Israelites marching around Jericho didn't make much sense to them, but we learn that God's grace comes to those who are persistent and who are faithful to keep doing what God tells them to do. We saw where Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. God's grace meets him there and protects him. God's grace will do the same for you. Boy, that brings us to today. Let's turn to Hebrews 11. Chapter 11, verse what? 32. Yeah, I think it's 32. If you got a Bible, look at it. The writer of Hebrews says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about who? Gideon. Gideon. Right there it is. But who does? I have time. We're going to go to the first one there, Gideon. The writer of Hebrews, and as much as I'm sure whoever that was, if it was the Apostle Paul, I'm sure he would love you guys, and I'm sure he wishes he had time to tell you that story, but because he can't, I'm going to. Let me tell you a little story to get things going here. Do you like those stories? They're hilarious. They're hilarious. Good. Um, this girl was taking a test. She was in college, and she hadn't studied for it very well. And so she's taking a test. It's all true-false. So it's just a statement, and you have to put it whether it's true or false. And the professor, he's watching her. She's sitting over there towards the back. And she's really sweating it out there for a while. And he sees that she's got a quarter. And she's flipping the quarter, looking at it, and then writing something down. <laughs> Flip the quarter, write something down. And she goes on and on like this, about a half an hour. And this was a, a big, long test. And uh, finally she stops, and the professor sees she, it looks like she's done taking her test and uh, everyone else you know they're still sweating and trying to figure these things out and a little bit later he looks back and she's doing it again and this time she looks a little more frantic you know she's got some sweat on her and then she's erasing things and and, and flipping and checking and this and, and erasing and finally the professor goes back and, and says can I ask what you're doing here <laughs> Are you taking this test? She goes, oh, yeah, I finished the test about 20 minutes ago. He said, well, what are you doing now? She says, well, I'm checking my answers. <laughs> checking her answers, you know, heads is true, tails is false. <laughs> See, if you're checking them that way, I'm going to have to explain this to you. If, Christy, if you're checking your answers and you've only flipped the coin... When you check them, who knows if it's right the next time? But you see, then, then it uh <laughs> I took a test like that. I didn't flip the coin. You ever do that multiple guess test? Yes. Yeah. You just A, B, C, D, whatever, the pattern. You look for some kind of pattern and hope that you nail it. Uh, I did that. It doesn't work. Um, what about, do uh, you ever second guess yourself? when you make a decision to do something and you say, oh, I wonder if that's really what I should do. How many second-guess themselves? Yeah. When uh, they're putting that harness on you for the rock wall, you know, and you're tightening those straps, 
I'm thinking to myself, is this really something I want to do? And then when I'm looking up at the wall, is this really something I want to do? (laughs) When my muscles, however small they may be, are screaming at me, is this really what you want to do? And we're always wanting to confirm that what we're doing is what we should do. And sometimes we just never get things done. We want to talk about Gideon today. Gideon was a lot like that. He didn't want to make a mistake. He, he wanted to just he wanted to make sure he got it right. And almost to the point where he didn't want to take any action. Get it right, but not take any action. But a little bit scared. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll look a little bit at his life. Okay. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you might be with us now as we uh, take a few minutes and look at the life of Gideon. And Father, we realize this is a great man of God. Uh, help us to uh, understand uh, his life, how he was able to serve you, and some of the issues that he had to deal with in order to come upon the grace of God. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would take your Bibles now, if you got them, turn to... You should bring them... Hebrews... No, I'm just kidding. Judges chapter 7 in the Old Testament. Judges 7. Put that down there. All right. Period of the judges. We talked a little bit about this. Barak was one of the judges. Gideon was another one of those 13 or so judges that ruled in Israel when they did not have a what? Jesus. (laughs) That's true. They didn't have a Jesus. But uh, they didn't have a king. Okay? So this was before they had kings. They had these judges. And Gideon was one of them. What's interesting in chapter 6, is that Gideon uh, and the Israelites, they're being oppressed by this other country called the Midianites. And and these people, they would come in and uh, the Israelites would try to plant their crops and and get food. The Midianites would come in and they would steal all their crops and kill all their horses and cows. and uh, all. Yeah, it was awful. In chapter 1, you find Gideon is out threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, do you know how you thresh wheat? The way they did it, they normally went up on a hilltop where the wind was blowing, and they would, after they uh, kind of crushed the little uh, chaffy stuff off the grain of wheat, then they would just throw it up in the air. The wind would blow that light chaffy stuff away, and the heavier kernel of wheat would fall down. So that was usually a process they did when the wind was blowing, and they'd throw it up, pick it down. He's in a wine press. A wine press, you think of a big vat, you know, where they throw the wine in, and, you know, people going with their bare feet, and they stomp it. But what I want you to see is that the wine press sits down low. Gideon is down in there threshing wheat. We're normally up on a hill. But he's doing it in hiding. And he's doing it in hiding because of the Midianites. He doesn't want them to know that they even have this little bit of wheat. And it is there... When Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press, real low, that God calls him. says, Gideon, I want you. And Gideon has this conversation with the Lord. And God says, I want you to be the one to help my people be free of the Midianites. That is mesmerizing, isn't it? That's right. All right. 
Gideon says, oh Lord, I can't do it. Look at me. I'm just an old farmer. I can't be uh, leading people into battle. I can't do none of that. He goes, I'm from this tribe in Israel and they're the, the lowest tribe that no one pays any attention to us. And he said, of everybody in our lowly tribe, I'm the lowliest person. Why would you want me to, to lead these people out? And God says, well, that's what I want you to do. And Gideon says to the Lord, well, Lord, uh, as if it wasn't enough talking to God, he says, I just want to be sure that what you're telling me is true. So he, he goes out and prepares this kind of a meal. He says, Lord, I'm looking for a sign. If you really want me to do this, then you're going to have to show me. And he sets this food and stuff, this little sacrificial meal on the table, and the Lord zapped it, and it burst in flames. Would that get your attention? Yeah. Yeah. That would confirm it. This is what the Lord wants. So Gideon goes, and he does what God calls him to do initially, this first part of it. In chapter 7, I better look there too. In Judges chapter 7, God tells Gideon he wants him to lead an army against the Midianites. He goes, I'm going to beat them for you, but I just want you to get together. So they cut all these men together. 32,000 soldiers. And Gideon's going to be in charge. Now remember, this is the guy yesterday, he was out in the wine press, flipping up wheat. Now he's in charge of an army of 32,000 men. Quite a change in one day, isn't it? Your lives are filled with moments, just like Gideon's was. You never know at what moment your life will change, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Uh, Paul mentioned these prayer requests this morning uh, for Stephen, for Miss Kathy. Uh, when you get that kind of a news from a doctor, all of a sudden everything in your life changes your whole focus now you have to deal with these health issues you have to deal with these money issues whatever it might be in Gideon's everything changed in a moment 32,000 men I'm thinking if I'm Gideon that sounds like a pretty good number to me I don't know how many the enemy had but if I had 32,000 guys to do the fight for me I'd say go get them boys right well God says Gideon that's too many I'm afraid that if, if we b defeat the enemy with 32,000 soldiers, some people might think that it was the army that won and not me. So I want you to tell whoever is afraid, tell them to go on home to their families and take care of them. So Gideon tells them, anyone that's afraid, go on home. 22,000 men leave. Can you imagine Gideon? It's like, hey, uh, we're just kidding, you know, you don't all have to go. He's left with 10,000 men. Gideon's probably thinking, at least we've still got 10,000. So God's looking them over and he says, Gideon, that still may be too many. Tell them to all go down to the stream. Tell them to get a drink of water out of the stream. And he goes, I'll tell you what to do from there. Are you familiar with this part of the story at all? They go down to the stream and everybody kneels down and they get a drink. Some people get down on all fours and just put their face right in the stream and lap it up like a dog. Others cup their hands and bring it up. Turns out there were only 300 guys that actually brought it up cupped to their mouth. God says, I want you to keep those guys. Send everybody else home. So 9,700 of the other soldiers, they go home. And... Uh, 
Gideon is there, started out with an army of 32,000. He's left with 300 guys. And God says, okay, we're ready to go to battle. So uh, this is uh, Gideon's race. This is what he's uh, called him to do. And I, I brought a little something to show you, just to illustrate uh, this kind of thing. Uh, I brought this sack. It's actually a little lunch bag. My wife made me. But uh, I just want you to notice here that there's nothing in it. See? 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 <laughs> and um, this would be kind of the uh, reverse effect. From Gideon. How, uh, yeah. That, uh, you see, the bag's empty, that's for sure. You know, there's no no question about the bag being empty. But it just seemed like it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm telling you, see, the bag's empty. See? But, uh, just... Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that cute? Yeah. And what's interesting, this is the opposite of what happened to Gideon. This is something where we keep getting more of them. With Gideon, it was the exact opposite. God kept taking them away, taking them away until he had 300 guys left. Now, what I want you to know, Gideon, very hesitant here to, uh, to do this. And in chapter 7, uh, in verses uh, 9 and 10, this is a familiar part of the story. And I'm, I'm not reading all this because I think maybe some of you are aware of the story. Where Gideon says, Lord, I'm still not sure if you're telling me to do this. I'm still not sure if you really mean it. Do you think God meant it? Yeah. yeah. God's not one to, to, to tell you things and not mean it. And so uh, Gideon says, Lord, I've got this uh, lamb fleece here, this, you know, wool, piece of wool. He goes, what I want to do is I'm going to leave it out tonight outside. And in the morning when the dew's here, if the fleece, if, if the, the uh, skin of the lamb is filled with dew and, and it's moist, but the ground all around it is dry, he says, then I'll know. <laughs> I will know this is what you want me to do. So God says, all right, whatever, Gideon, do it. So Gideon does it. He gets up the next morning. Gideon gets up. There's no dew on the ground anywhere except where? On the fleece. He gets it up. He wrings it out. There's a whole bowl full of water in it. Gideon goes to God in prayer and he says, Lord, don't get mad at me, but I'm still not sure <laughs> that I'm the man that you're really wanting to do this job. He goes, if you don't mind, I'm going to leave this fleece out one more time. And this time, tomorrow morning, if the fleece is dry and everywhere else is, is heavy with dew, well, then I'll know. And then I'll know that I'm the one you really want to do the job. So he goes to bed. The next morning he gets up. Dew everywhere. Heavy dew on the ground in the morning, except on the fleece. Fleece is dry as a bone. And so uh, Gideon decides this must be uh, the Lord's will for him.
for him to do. But can you feel for Gideon how he just wants to make sure? You know, there's only 300 men. It's not like we've got 32,000. This is almost an impossible battle, what he's going to do. But he, uh, he goes on and he does this. Now, when you read on here, Gideon takes his 300 men, and this is what they get for battle, okay? They get uh, a horn, always good for birthday parties, weddings, and the heat of battle. And they get a um, like a clay pot with a torch inside of it, okay, so that you can't really see the, the light in it, but if you can just imagine a clay pot with a, a, a tight lid on it. That's what his soldiers get. There's no swords, there's no javelins, there's no spears. That's what they get. This is their battle plan. They're going to go down there around where the Midianites are camped, at a lot, around this hill. And they're going to take these, they divide them up into three groups of 100 men each. They're going to surround here. Gideon's going to say, you know, when I blow on my trumpet, I want all of you to blow on your trumpet and break the clay pot so that instantly that torch will be visible and blow your trumpets. Okay, so, and that's what they're going to do, basically. Now, the night, bef- the night they're going to do that, God tells Gideon, and he knows him pretty well, he said, listen, Gideon, I can tell you're a little nervous about this whole thing. I can tell you're scared, as we say in Maryland. I can tell you're scared. So if you sneak down into the Midian camp, you'll hear something that will help you get over your scaredness. Mm-hmm. All right? So Gideon sneaks down into the camp, gets behind a tree, and he sees two Midianite guards talking. And these guards were talking, and one of them says, Yeah, I had another dream last night. I said, What'd you dream? I had a dream that a big loaf of bread rolled down the hill. Have you ever had a dream about a big loaf of bread? Me neither. But a round loaf of barley bread, he said. It rolled down into their camp, and this loaf of bread wiped out the whole tent, all the tents, all the armies. The guy says, that sure is a mighty weird dream. It must be that God is going to send Gideon's men down here. I think our goose is cooked. And Gideon's overhearing this conversation between these soldiers. And and Gideon goes back and he says, I think the Lord's going to be with us. Finally. Four times now, Gideon has asked God to confirm the fact that God really did want him. Four times God has said, okay. And so they they spread out. Gideon blows the horn. See, sometimes when you do the one finger, you just have to do, try it later. They crack, they open the uh, the clay pots, and the Midianite army looks around in the darkness along the hills. Everywhere they look, they see these torches. Even though there's only 300, but they're completely surrounded. It's dark. 
everywhere they can hear, they hear a horn blowing, and in their minds, every torch, every horn represents a group or a company of men. And so in their minds, they are surrounded not by 300 men, but by thousands. The Bible says that God got the Midianites so scared that they get up and they start fighting. They can't see who they're fighting, and they start fighting each other. And so these guys are killing each other, and they start running away. And God tells Gideon, get all those guys you sent home. Send word. We're chasing them down. And so this big chase develops where Gideon is hunting down the Midianites. Now, I want you to notice here that he follows through with his plan. Gideon's race, what God told him to do, i got to tell you, it's kind of odd. The way he wanted him to do this battle. It didn't seem to make sense at the time, and yet God saw him through. So I want to just point out a couple of thoughts here about God's grace for the race and some things that you can uh, apply to yourselves here. First of all, God's willing to confirm his race for you for a while. I think eventually God wants you to figure it out, what he wants you to do with your life. I talk to a lot of you here at meals, and I'm asking questions like, what do you want to be when you get older? You know what answer I'm getting a lot? I don't know. <laughs> what do you like to do? I don't know. <laughs> And you may not know. But what I want you to understand here is that God is ready. He'll do like Gideon. He'll work with you on that. He'll help confirm what it is He wants you to do with your life. God needs nurses. God needs lawyers. He needs school teachers. He needs Christians out in the world in all those fields. He needs missionaries. He needs camp directors and pastors and all that stuff. He did press God. i got to tell you, if, if, it was, if I were God there, four times Gideon comes up to me and says, Lord, can you just one more time? Wouldn't you want, just want to slap him a little bit and say, Gideon, okay, it's me. I'm telling you. Enough. Um, there was this girl, and I was telling you, girl, I'm you know, not picking on girls because I'm a guy. I'm not going to say I was a guy. This girl comes through the woods and up to a river. And uh, she's on a little trail, and she's looking down the river. Doesn't see a bridge. She looks up the river. The river doesn't see a bridge. Wondering how to get across, and looks to the other side. There's another girl on the other side. So she yells over, "Hey, you! How do I get to the other side of the river?" The other girl, she looked at her, looked down the river, looked up the river. She said, she yells back. You're already on the other side of the river. <laughs> God will let you ask for direction. you got all day. You can find me all day and say, Pastor David, could you explain that joke to me? So I'll be happy to do it any time today. God will let you ask for directions. He'll, you, you might say, uh, Lord, I think you're leading me here. I'm not saying we should ask God for signs and everything. I'm going to explain that here in just a minute. But God gave him what he needed to succeed. God will confirm what he wants you to do with your life, and this is how he'll do it. All right? So if you're interested to know what in the world God wants you to do with your life, here's how you find out. First of all, he'll, 
He'll speak to you through His Word. You, if you're a Christian, have a Holy Spirit within you. Part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to shed light or to illuminate the Word of God, to make it come alive to you. You spend time in the Word, and God will speak to you from His Word through His Spirit. And you may read a verse or something that uh, you've read it all your life, maybe you've memorized it, and one day you'll read it, and it'll seem like it just, bam, takes on a whole new meaning. So God will speak to you through His Word. You need to pray about it. You need to ask God. You can't uh, go through uh, high school and never pray. Never ask God what He wants you to do with your life. You can't risk that. You need to be praying about it. You need to ask God, what is it, Lord? You need to show me what you want me to do with my life. Think about uh, the things that you feel passionate about, the things that you enjoy doing. God uses the things you feel passionate about in ways that you can serve Him. And one phrase that I haven't used with you as I've asked you what you want to do with your life is to be able to say, how will you serve Jesus doing that? So whatever you decide on, be able to connect it to how you'll serve Jesus. So God's going to help you through His Word. He's going to uh, help you through your prayer life. Finally, through godly friends, other Christians, people like Uncle Paul. Maybe you have something that uh, a parent, a pastor that you know, and you start feeling like maybe God wants you to go to college and study this or that. And you say, Uncle Paul, can I talk to you about something? I think this is what God wants me to do. What do you think? Find someone who knows you, and they can help confirm maybe what is God's leading in your life. So those things. But I want you to know this. Eventually, in the Christian life, you will either run the race God has called you to run, or you won't. Those are your options. I don't know what it is. I don't know what God wants you to do with your life. I know He wants you to serve Him. But you will either run the race or bail out. It would be like me halfway up that wall where my head's telling me to bail out, Charlie's telling me to keep going. We, either, we, we make those decisions. We'll do one or the other. I also want you to know God's grace can help you overcome your fears of moving forward. Sometimes we're just afraid to step out. We're afraid to try something new. We're afraid to say that we're going to go to Bible college. Or we're going to go to seminary. Or we're afraid to, of what somebody might say or what people might think or we don't have the skills to do that. God didn't bless me as much as he did Charlie or God didn't uh, give me as much talent as he did so-and-so and I can't do this and I can't do that. And God says, enough! You have my grace on your life. If I am calling you to do it, it's because you can do it. So, Think about what God wants you to do with your life. Uncharted territory is always a little scary. New challenges, new directions. Friends, don't let any of that get you away from obeying God. God went out of his way to help Gideon know. He'll go out of his way to help you know. He'll go out of his way to help you discover what it is he wants you to do with your, your life. I'm not sure that uh, Gideon deserved the success that he had. Uh, he was victorious and became a great judge of Israel. But he was kind of a chicken head too, wasn't he? Uh, real hesitant, not really trusting the Lord. Filled with a lot of doubts and fears and questions, just like a lot of us are. But that's what grace is. 
you cannot earn it. Nothing you can do will ever merit God giving you grace. He's going to give it to you because He loves you. He's going to give it to you because He's calling you out. He wants you to do something and He'll help you do it. He wants to bless and confirm your path. Now, there's only one more race that we need to talk about this week. Whose is it? Yours. We want to nail down your race. I want to help you take your first steps in discovering what it is God wants from you. This afternoon, as you're doing things, you're going to have some time along the way uh, to sit and talk or to just reflect and think. I want you to take a little bit of time here and there, wherever God gives you the chance to be alone and to think about it. I want you to pray and say, Lord, what is it you want me to do with my life? I don't care if you're 14 or you're 18. You're all old enough. As I mentioned before, I was about 14 when God impressed upon my heart that he wanted me to be a preacher. I didn't know diddly. I still don't know very much. But 14, I want you to pray about your race. Tonight, we're talking about your race from Hebrews chapter 12. We're graduating. We're going from what was to what is. What God did in the past to what God will do in the future. And I want you to be praying about that. And tonight, you'll have the chance to come to your own little crossroads with God. You decide whether or not you will take those first steps. Follow the course that God's marked out for you. Let's have a word of prayer. Get out of here. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Gideon. Uh, another guy, uh, a lot like me, kind of scared on new things. Uh, but you were very patient with him and you helped confirm what it was you wanted to do and your grace was upon him and you gave him victory. Help us to realize, Lord, you will do the same for us. Father, I pray that you would be with these young people. I could just imagine what their neighborhoods would be like if they really said yes to you. Said, whatever you want, Lord, that's where I'm going. Help them to be praying, Lord, about those first steps of following you, what it is that you want them to do that puts them on that right path. I pray you give us a good afternoon today. Watch over us and keep us safe during all the activities. And also, Father, may your spirit stay close to our hearts now and impress upon us this day the importance of our own race that we need to run. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uncle Paul.